Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf, and we are joined today by Eric Swalwell, who is the representative from California's 15th Congressional District, a rising star in the Democratic Party, one who is familiar to uh, television viewers, both from his role on the uh, Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence and the Judiciary Committee. Uh, and of course, I have to start, we've got a uh, bunch of breaking news today uh, regarding Michael uh, Cohen uh, and the Mueller investigation. Uh, and I and I with that, you know, let, let me start by asking you what your reaction is. And uh, and and then I have a couple questions for you. Thanks, David, for having me on. And, and what we see with this Cohen plea is what most of us uh, who've been following the Mueller investigation have suspected, which is that candidate Trump, his team, his family, his businesses, uh, all sought to get dirt from Russia on Hillary Clinton during the campaign. And now we're learning that this was also uh, parallel to uh, opportunities they were pursuing uh, for business in Moscow during the campaign. And they have lied about it. And to me, I think it's clearer than ever uh, that there was uh, collusion uh, with the Russian. Exactly. I think... Uh, Mueller will find out, and in about 35 days, a new Congress will be uh, much better equipped to find out. Well, let's let's drill down on it a little bit. I think one of the things that uh, uh, perhaps people in your position may be uh, l- looking at with some interest is the fact that Mueller is now prosecuting people for lying to Congress, uh, which obviously probably, ha- I mean, which probably as people who have testified before your committees um, uh, nervously twitching in their seats a bit uh, and changes the context for uh, future investigations somewhat as um, the, the, the notion that people can get away with that uh, will seem to have diminished substantially. How significant do you think that is? Very significant. And what's most frustrating, though, is this is just the tip of the iceberg. And to go a little bit, uh, you know, into the details, you know, uh, it's a deep state podcast, so we'll go, you know, deep into the details. This plea agreement with Cohen uh, is based on a letter that Cohen sent to Congress, a public letter uh, that he sent to Congress. We have tried to make Cohen's uh, nearly 10-hour testimony and the testimony of dozens of other Trump witnesses available to Mueller, but Devin Nunes uh, has blocked every request uh, that we have made. Uh, and the reason we've tried to send all of these transcripts over to Mueller, because he does not have them, uh, is because we suspect uh, that uh, many of them uh, have lied to us and that uh, Mueller would be interested uh, in this. And so uh, I, I suspect if Mueller is able to see 
Cohen's uh, testimony to us and the testimony of Roger Stone uh, and many, many others, uh, he will have uh, you know, counts and many more uh, people indicted. And that will happen immediately uh, upon a new Congress being sworn in. They will be sent over to Mueller. That's just over a month away. Um, what are the first signs that we are going to see from the committees that you're involved with? What do you think the first investigations are going to be? And do you think we're going to be in a different phase? Because, I mean, some people have speculated that, you know, Mueller was waiting for uh, the president to submit his answers to questions before he moved on the next stages of this, which are really the collusion uh, centric stages, it seems, both in terms of uh, things like the Cohen thing, the Trump Tower meeting, the Roger Stone, WikiLeaks ties and so forth. So do you think we're going to see a lot of developments between now and when you uh, and your colleagues start those investigations? And what then? Yeah, so we will gaps where they exist between uh, what Mueller has been able to find out and what investigate. Uh in the House, uh, but also we will expand it to include that potential mon- money laundering uh, at the Trump organization uh, with uh, Russian money. And we do not believe that Mueller looking at that. Uh, we, we think that he is, uh, you know, being fairly conservative with the mandate that he's been given. Uh, I, I think, as I interpret his mandate, that he could look at it, but I think to just make sure that he, you know, is not raising uh, the ire uh, of people at the Department of Justice who would probably seek to end his investigation. He's staring, he's staying narrowly in the lane of, you know, looking at ties between the Trump team and Russia during dependency of the campaign. But we have good reason from what we've learned in our investigation to believe that there has been a longstanding financial relationship between Donald Trump, his family, and people on his campaign with Russia, and that that could amount to money laundering. We were never able to pursue any of that, uh, meaning looking at bank records, looking at travel logs, looking at communication uh, readouts uh, and receipts. And so we will seek to get those uh, in, in the future to you know, put to bed those questions. But this is more than mere speculations. Evidence has emerged in your investigations that suggests that's a, a, a worthwhile path. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, there's, of course, uh, public evidence. Uh, and then there is, you know, evidence that has not been made public uh, yet. Uh, but we hope, as I said, with the subpoena power uh, and being able to subpoena third power, third party vendors stand on not only executive privilege, the privileges that they uh, invented uh, when we tried to uh, find out information from them over the last two years. But third party vendors uh, who have no dog in this fight uh, like banks, you know, like uh, cell phone providers, like hotels, uh, like flight manifests, uh, they're not going to, I think, obstruct us. And so I think we will learn a lot uh, from being able to per- per- pursue uh, those leads. One of the things that uh, is is clearly striking by the the Cohen development today is that he asserts that uh, the Trump organization. Uh, was involved in discussions regarding Trump Tower Russia 
uh, well into 2016, the campaign year, possibly beyond that, uh, and that he briefed the president, the members of his family on those activities, even as there were repeated denials that there were any such involvement. Is it your sense that things like money laundering and other kinds of financial ties may have post-dated the inauguration of the president, in other words, have continued into his presidency? That's where we would really like to, to take this, to find out you know, if we have in real time uh, investments by Russians or Russian uh, allies you know, in the Trump team. And you know, we, ha- we have public testimony uh, from Eric Prince that you know, he, uh, during the transition, uh, traveled uh, to the Seychelles, uh, met with a Russian uh, individual, uh, and you know there has been public reporting that they were seeking to establish, you know, back channels. Um, now, you know, those are the types of uh, trips and meetings uh, that were not disclosed, that were only found out by press reporting or uh, our House Intelligence investigation, uh, that we want to fully. Uh, you know, take an MRI to uh, where we have not been able to uh, before. Now, also a separate thread here, uh, but it's really from the same cloth, uh, is this Saudi Arabia uh, deal. And it it smells, uh, looks like, uh, and I think feels like what's going on with Russia, which is you have a country and and leaders of the country who the president had prior, uh, you know, financial dealings with uh, in this president was bailed out uh, in the 90s uh, by the Saudis, whether it was buying his yacht or buying the Plaza Hotel uh, in New York. It's the first country he visited as president, and this country conducts an extrajudicial killing of a U.S. resident who works for a U.S. publication while visiting uh, a NATO ally, and he do almost nothing, and the president, again, just as he did with Russia, uh, is undermining his own intelligence uh, community's findings. Well, you know, I think it goes further than that, just even as you say it. Um, we have the president with financial ties to Russia, uh, not only gaining the aid of Russia, but putting his thumb on the scale when it turns to certain policies and stances with regard to Russia that include up to even in the past week with Russian aggression in the Sea of Azov, the president says a few words against it and then immediately turns the conversation to attacks on the European Union, which satisfy Russia. We have in the case of Saudi Arabia financial ties and you have the president saying, no, they're an important ally, even if they're murdering an American resident, um, uh, quite apart from what they've done in Yemen and elsewhere. We've had the president and apparently seek to change, uh, uh, you know, uh, influence discussions about the location of the FBI headquarters with uh, as it pertained to his own real estate interests in Washington. We've had a, a story yesterday about the president uh, suggesting that certain kinds of tax loopholes should remain open because they were the ones his business depended upon. Uh, and, and it brings to, you know, into uh, focus the sweeping implications of having a president who does not, um, uh, as p- past presidents have, uh, take the proper number of ethical steps away from his business interests uh, and, and is in there wheeling and dealing in his self-interest. That's right. Uh, he, he did not divest, and he said that the children would be running the businesses, and then he hired uh, some of the children uh, and their spouse. Uh, and, and so, yeah, there's, there's no... Uh, there's no credibility there to that. And again, what we will see, though, is he's had presidential immunity for the last 
two years, uh, especially when it's come to this corrupting uh, you know, activity that we see at the White House, cashing in on uh, access to the White House, whether it's on the emoluments clause, whether it's on the ZTE easing of sanctions against the Chinese in the same window of time that Chinese banks are lending $500 million to a Trump property in Indonesia. He has received a free pass. There's been uh, no investigation or oversight into that. Uh, but, but that's over uh, now. And over the next two years, uh, we will conduct the investigations Republicans would not. And you just listed you know, some of them that we're interested in. Now, we're also mindful that he is a unique animal in that there is a lot of alarming conduct. And if all that is thrown, uh, you would, you know, spend a lot of energy and, and some of them are not as important as others. And I use the example, not, you know, to, to say that this is the case, but just to kind of put it Kushner having a security clearance, despite failing to properly fail out a security clearance a number of times and, and failing to, to disclose, uh, you know, his investments and places he's visited and foreign nationals he taught, he's talked to. And most administrations, that would be a very big deal and something you'd really want to look into. With this president, that ranks very low on the list. And, and I think we have to be mindful of that and prioritize, you know, what matters most to people and what matters most to national security. Having said that, Kushner's own personal finances, the financing of 666 Fifth Avenue, his dealings with the Qataris and the Saudis and others and the Russians in in regard to getting that financing would seem to be more material. Would I be correct? As Yes, if it relates to national security. And that's why, I, you know, I believe we have to, you know, as a Congress, rely on the Department of Justice, you know, to to look at the criminal activity. Um, you know, we're not prosecutors. Um, I, I see us more as uh, interventionists <laughs> at, at this point where we can look at alarming conduct and see if that conduct is driving U.S. foreign or domestic policy, you know, whether it's hurting people at home like tariffs uh, or uh, jeopardizing our you know, alliances abroad. That's where I think we should prioritize and then you know, trust that we have a Department of Justice uh, that you know, can look at you know, uh, graft and corruption uh, and, and fraud uh, if it's existing, you know, inside the administration. But we, we don't want to extend over extend ourselves so that we're chasing everything and impacting nothing. Okay, so uh, twice in that uh, answer, you brought up trusting in the Department of Justice, and we have an acting attorney general that has several suits pending, suggesting that perhaps it was an illegal appointment, and he seems to be somebody who has opinions um, that would uh, suggest he is defensive of the president at the very least. But we have to worry. Does it go beyond that? And what you know? What is your view of that? And and what what kind of um, uh, role can the House and the House Judiciary Committee play in that respect? And, and by trusting the Department of Justice, I, I really mean you know the career prosecutors who are there who you know toil away in the dark, and you know it, it may not be known at Maine Justice, uh, you know, what they are doing or what they're collecting. And, you know, it may be the case, and, and I'm not speaking with any uh, evidence, uh, just kind of a hope and knowing, you know, how prosecutors work that, you know, perhaps uh, once this administration, uh, you know, goes into the sunset, uh, that the statute of limitations would still be open on a lot of this conduct, and they would be better equipped 
uh, to go after. And that's what I mean by trusting the Department of Justice will ultimately hold people accountable. As it relates to Whitaker, um, you know, a, a number of concerns. One is that the timing of Paul Manafort backing out of his cooperation agreement and President Trump turning in his answers to special counsel uh, Mueller uh, is not an accident. I, I think it's very suspicious that this is happening at the same time uh, that Whitaker has been put in place and has a window into the into the investigation. And, and I, uh, you know, the fact that that is even a concern and is something that potentially could have happened that that Whitaker could feedback information to Trump is all the reason that he should not be in that position. You know, Vox has reported that Whitaker and Trump plotted uh, for months uh, this takeover uh, of justice uh, and pushing out uh, sessions. Uh, now, Whitaker, about three weeks ago, that he would seek a Department of Justice ethics opinion on whether uh, he should recuse himself. And we've seen no movement uh, at all on that. And I think he should be pressed as to, you know, where is uh, that opinion, will he make it public? Uh, and, you know, I, that's something, again, it may take a new Congress to ultimately have to subpoena uh, the Department of Justice uh, Ethics Office to see if he sought an opinion and what the uh, advice was. Well, you said you were suspicious of these things happening at this time because of and possible relation to Whitaker. Can you flesh that out a little bit? Why is that suspicious to you? Last uh, week, that communication uh, between Mueller and Manafort has broken down because uh, the Mueller team uh, has found that Manafort has been lying to them. Uh, and also now Rudy Giuliani has confirmed that Manafort uh, has kept open a joint defense agreement and is passing information along to the Trump uh, lawyers. At the same time, Jerome Corsi is backing out uh, of his plea agreement. Uh, the president just yesterday to the New York Post said uh, that pardons are still on the table for Manafort. And Again, these are significant developments in the case of Manafort, in the case of Corsi, and also the president who has sat on these answer, these questions uh, for over six months that he's had from Mueller and finally turns them in. If I look at what has changed here, what it, you know, what could trigger all of this movement? Well, Whitaker is a, a big factor uh, in my mind. You know, he didn't turn in his answers. Manafort stopped cooperating. Corsi has backed off cooperating. What has changed? Well, Whitaker is now the acting attorney general. The president has an ally at the very top of the Department of Justice. Just the perception Whitaker could be feeding information to Trump, which is not an unreasonable perception, I think is all the reason that Whitaker should not be there. Whether he is doing it or not, that perception is not, uh, I think, a unreasonable one. So I, I know we only have two minutes left, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get back and have a longer form conversation with you at some point. Uh, because I have a couple I, more minutes, I think we could do uh, five more minutes. Okay, well let's let's let me let me pick up. Um, with the news that's broken in the course of the 20 minutes since we spoke, even though this will be playing out for a couple of days. Yeah, check your phone. Well, the president, uh, on his way to the helicopter, on his way to Argentina, on his way to meeting with Vladimir Putin and MBS, uh, was asked about the Cohen decision, and he asserted that Cohen was lying to get a reduced sentence, uh, and that he also said that he decided not to do the Moscow project, but there would have been nothing wrong with him to do it because... That was his business. Yeah, and I, I see that he also called Cohen a, a very weak person. Uh, and of course, you know, mind you, this is uh, the person who he hired to be his lawyer, who he sent out uh, as a surrogate 
during the campaign who he trusted, you know, to execute, uh, you know, the biggest deals that he had uh, at, uh, you know, Trump at Trump Tower and in the pursuits uh, across uh, the globe. And and so, uh, you know, I believe that the real the real reason the Trump Tower and Moscow deal uh, soured or, or did not materialize is because uh, if you match up the timing of what Cohen has now told the special counsel, which is that it really uh, it really seized around August of 2016. Well, go back in time and look at what's happened. And in the spring of 2016 is when the Russians uh, begin to uh, release the stolen uh, the Clinton campaign, uh, and then. It's in July of 2016 when Trump says, Russia, if you're listening, um, you know, you'd be rewarded if you released Hillary Clinton's emails. And that's when all of the scrutiny starts to come upon the Trump team for the Russian ties. That's when Paul Manafort uh, leaves the campaign because of suspected uh, Russian ties. And so I think the pressure was just too much. Uh, and it was actually a shining light on the Trump-Russia relations uh, that ended that deal. If this had not come to light, what the Russians were doing or their involvement or what Trump's team uh, had been doing with the Russians. I believe Donald Trump fully would have pursued uh, that Trump Tower uh, Russia deal. I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's really all about the money uh, for Donald Trump. And he viewed Russia as, you know, a, as a country that wanted to help him. And he would have kept uh, doing it had uh, the press not uh, brought that to light. Well, indeed, he'd been talking about doing business in Russia since the not the 90s, yeah. right, or the late 80s, yeah. even but just as uh, things started to change there. Let me uh, ask the final question based on the other half of what the president just said. He he called Michael Cohen a weak person, and the, but the direct quote was, a weak person, and by being weak, unlike other people that you watch, um, which has caused some people to observe that he may be sending a message to Paul Manafort again, uh, and they're continuing their coded discussion or not so coded discussion about how Manafort can earn a pardon. How would the new Congress respond? I mean, I assume they would react with outrage. How would they respond to a pardon for Paul Manafort? So I, I would look at it as whether the pardon uh, was connected to any actions uh, or inaction taken uh, by Manafort. And what I mean by that is I, I accept that the president has uh, nearly unlimited uh, pardon power for federal crimes. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to waste time trying to you know, change the Constitution at this point. Uh, but I also believe if the pardon has been dangled or offered and that the potential pardon has been communicated uh, directly or indirectly to Paul Manafort because of it, I think obstruction of justice. Uh, and if you know you have evidence of that, I think that would go to the House Judiciary Committee, uh, al along with a lot of other evidence of obstruction of justice that this president has committed. And he you know, could be held to account on that. So it's if he you know, is pardoning him to avoid his own you know, criminal culpability. Well, I think the other interesting thing that came out of the Cohen thing today, and maybe this will be the last question, but the other interesting thing was that Cohen's plea indicated that he had successfully reached an aide to President Putin in January 2016 uh, after he emailed Putin for help on the Trump Tower Moscow. He emailed uh, Dmitry Peskov, the Putin spokesperson on this. Spokesperson, yeah. um, and so it suggests 
that this is not just, you know, a businessman doing business with other businessmen in two countries um, uh, that happen to be the United States and Russia. But it seems that Trump, you know, over a period of time, sought the aid and involvement of Putin in getting these deals done. Um, and uh, that seems quite damning. But again, what's your take? David, that, that's exactly right. And, you know, this will be even clearer when the Michael Cohen transcript is released. Uh, but the way that I viewed it then and the way I view it now is that what is unique about this is not that it's a business person trying to do business in Russia. It's a candidate for president of the United States who's mixing business and politics, because uh, also a part of that Trump Tower deal was a conversation between Michael Cohen and Felix Sater, where Felix Sater said, we can make this happen, we can get Putin involved, we can engineer this so that we can elect our boy as president. And so you see uh, in that communique between the two of them that this is not just a development project, tying a development project to assistance from the Russian government. And that's collusion. Well, it's collusion. It's also, you know, potentially something more than that. If a president gets elected by collaborating with a government that is in the midst of an attack on the United States, and he then covers up that attack and uh, effectively provides uh, other forms of assistance, he's aiding and abetting an enemy in the middle of an attack. Now, that is actually the constitutional definition of treason. I'm not suggesting that the president would be guilty of treason because there is no declaration of war, and I understand the legal technicalities there, but we are perilously close to a kind of betrayal that we've never seen. It's betrayal, uh, David. That's what I call it because, yeah, there's a legal definition of treason. I mean, I know colloquially it feels like uh, treason, uh, but betrayal, I think, is the best word that, you know, Russia... Uh, is an adversary of the United States. They're not our friend. They don't have our interests in mind. And this president uh, and his team sought help from the Russians throughout the campaign, sought to make money in Russia throughout the campaign. And at almost every time uh, that they had an opportunity to disclose it, they failed. And every time they've been confronted about it, they've lied. And to me, uh, yeah, that's betrayal of country. And that's collusion uh, with an enemy. Well, and beyond that, every time they had an opportunity to actually do something on Russia's behalf once they assumed office, including covering up or impeding the investigation of Russia, they helped. So that's that completes the picture. Well, look, this has been extremely illuminating. We're very grateful. We do hope that we can have you back on again. Uh, you're uh, doing remarkable work. Uh, uh, we certainly recommend that everybody keeps an eye on you. And at some point in a future conversation, I would like to talk to you about the future of the party and as we look ahead to yeah. 2020, because I, I know you've got some very thoughtful views on that. And frankly, a lot of people, including myself, candidly, think that new blood and new perspectives are precisely what the country is going to be yearning for, uh, particularly if we go through two more years of looking at this. Very much look forward to that and an honor to be on. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, uh, Congressman. Bye-bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.